Welcome to Let's Get Writing, the podcast that explores the creative process of writing from books, scripts, plays, and poems to songs and blogs. This series focuses on authors, publishers, and artists. Catherine's guests share their process of writing in all its forms. Listen along to discover the personal journeys behind their work. Explore options from indie to traditional publishing and learn tips and secrets to inspire you. Welcome to Let's Get Writing. Welcome to Let's Get Writing. I'm your host, Catherine Taylor. Well, my guest tonight, Tanya Whittle, is a wild soul woman these days, but she wasn't always that person. There was a time when she pretended to live a normal life while the remnants of childhood trauma bubbled just beneath the surface. And you can't ignore what the soul knows, and Tanya lived that reality. But fortunately for her and the many women she has supported on their own soul journeys, Tanya discovered the path to healing in her book, Unchained, A Journey to the Soul from Head to Heart, follows her personal passage as she learns oh, life's big lessons. And we all know them. Truth truly heals and things buried ultimately steal your happiness. Well, are you ready to learn if you might be a wild soul woman? I hope so, because Tanya is here and uh, to share her discovery and her book. And I'm going to welcome her to Let's Get Writing right now. Come on down. <laughs> Tanya, welcome. Hi. Hi, Catherine. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm super excited to have you on. I'm here in Grand Falls, Windsor, Newfoundland, and you're on the East Coast in St. John's, Newfoundland, correct? Yes, correct. Correct. Yeah, just outside. Just outside? I'm a little so bit more in the woods and the suburbs and in Holyrood, so close ah, enough. <laughs> close enough. Holyrood is is a beautiful place and a little bit, little bit more out of the fog zone, perhaps. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, you have your fingers in so many things, writing, coaching. You've got some great podcasts and blogs on the go. So you're a, you're a busy lady. But let's start with the book. Um, it's been described as an authentic and raw and, 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 and even heart-wrenching at times. So tell people what this book is about and why you wrote it. Oh, so the book it's a big one. <laughs> it is. That's quite the introduction. Um, <laughs> so basically, the book is, I guess, um, I want to say it's it's my my life's journey, or or you know, a portion of it, because a book can only hold so many things. Um, it's not, you know, it's only a couple hundred pages. So it, it's it's my life's journey of basically kind of coming to this point in my life where I realized I woke up, and I I, I mean, it really does feel a little bit like this that I woke up one day and I realized that you know, how did I get here? My life wasn't where I thought that it was going to end up. And I really wanted to figure out how I got here in this place that I didn't love. And I started asking a lot of questions and that really led me on a bit of a crazy journey of self-discovery. And in that journey of self-discovery, I really realized that my past, um, because I hadn't healed it and because I kind of pushed it away and put it in the closet and said, that didn't really happen. Um, bad things didn't happen. And I, and I kind of stuck them away. And I didn't deal with them. And so I kind of thought that sticking it away meant that it didn't impact you and that it didn't bother you and that it didn't, it wasn't real. But the opposite is really true is that the stuff that we don't actually deal with is what comes back to haunt us. 
And I thought that my, my history of sexual abuse was something that didn't actually impact me or change me because I, you know, I made that decision that it wasn't going to, but in fact, it was the very thing that I was kind of running from and ultimately was shaping all of the decisions that I was making to make sure that nobody ever found out about it. Because I really always believed that, you know, if people found out that it would limit my opportunities, it would limit my options. It would change how people looked at me, what they felt about me, what they felt about my family. Uh, you know, so there was a lot of reasons mm -hmm. that I really wanted to hide it. I think even one of the biggest reasons that I wanted to hide it was I used to hear all these stories of, you know, textbook cases of, you know, this behavior and that behavior. And while I was in denial that I was a bit of a textbook case, I, I was really driven to, be, to move away from that image or that idea of, you know, this stuff will happen to you because you're because you were abused. So mm -hmm. I really wanted that to be a segmented this. Yes, I know this happened, but if I put it over here and I don't let it in. So ultimately the, the book was really about the unraveling of that and kind of coming to the truth of the fact that I really had to face it, that if I really wanted the life that I envisioned myself having, if I really wanted to create that life, then I was going to have to go in, deal with what was in that box that I kept hidden and unpack it. And so that's ultimately what the book is about is about that really wild, crazy journey, because it didn't necessarily go the traditional route of anything in my life, but <laughs> certainly not my <laughs> healing journey um, was definitely not, you know, kind of a traditional route. And so that was kind of took me all over, you know, in, all over the globe to ultimately end up inside. Wow. Yeah. And, and, you know, <laughs> what, what we're saying, when you try to push these things down that are so impactful on our lives and just ignore them and live on it's like they refuse to they show up they bubble up to the surface and you just can't you just can't seem to get away from it and not just you but anyone and we, we try this and many times it's like pulling back those layers but you don't want to you don't particularly want to do it you had a lot of reasons why you didn't want to do it so was the book to finally come out with a book that could not have been easy because um, that's putting it out there. You know, it's not talking to a psychologist quietly in a room that's saying, here's my book. Actually, here's my book. Have a look at it. This is my story. What do you think? Oh, I'm vulnerable now. Absolutely. So, I mean, why did you write it? Was it part of your healing or did you feel you wanted to tell people? Um, so if I think the journey of the book is kind of threefold. If we, If I get really into the details of it, it's I want to say that I was kind of born to write um, and, and I was always very shy in the past about that, but I'm not anymore. Um, you know, I've always had a thirst for writing, a passion for it. I would turn in 25 page stories when I was in grade four, um, you know, this big elaborate, you know, I mean, we were asked to write two pages and I would turn in 25 and I always had this wild thirst for writing and journaling and, you know, it was the dear diary days. Um, but I went to university and in university, I was taking an English degree and I was told that writing is not really a career. So if I really wanted to kind of make something of myself, then I should change um, degrees unless I really wanted to be a teacher or, you know, like a researcher. Oh, I heard that. I'm an English uh, major as well. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that kind of, I listened to somebody else's reality and I thought, oh, I don't want to come to university and end up being only able to make $20,000 a year when I could, I could make that, you know, not in university. So I ended up switching degrees and did what, you know, what I was told to do, did what I was supposed to do to make sure that I was setting my future up and that I could be successful. So I pursued 
you know, criminology and sociology and the study of human behavior, which, you know, we think that things are not ultimately related, but they really are. So it was kind of a bit of a wild journey. So then as I was dealing with my healing journey, my need to write came back because after I stopped mm -hmm. my English degree in university, I basically um, stopped writing. And then when I was on my healing journey, I started to write. And then as I was writing as, as part of my processing to try to explain how I was feeling, because while my book is very public right now, I was very private. My husband didn't even know that I was doing some of the things that I was doing because I was so interesting very closed, which is why, you know, people look at me today and they think that this was so easy and there was nothing easy about this. I mean, I was in back rooms and back closets trying to like dig my way out of it, still trying to hold on to the fact that I can heal myself, but nobody still has to know about what happened, but I can heal right. as long as Okay. So the, the process of writing kind of started to be um, soothing for me. It just allowed me to really process that. And then I was, you know, sharing with some of my friends, some of the writing, they still didn't know my story or my history, but I would share, you know, just some things because we were all starting to do meditations and, you know, things like that together. And they were the ones who really pursued me to start blogging. They were like, Tanya, this writing is powerful. It's incredible. I don't know what's going on with you, but like people need to read this. So I fought that and I resisted that for a really long time. And then one day I just decided to start this blog and it was called Tanya. My friends and I went out for like Indian food and it was a big joke. We had too much wine and, and then that was it. It was settled that I was going to start a blog called Tanya Uncensored because when I just let myself go, it's just, I say all kinds of things and, you know, and so I can see that. <laughs> yeah. So that was, it's all the best decisions I think sometimes are made with friends over, you know, yeah. over yeah. maybe a glass of wine. So that was ultimately the three part journey. I think it was like almost like a comeback for me to kind of be like, you know what, maybe I could write and maybe it's not a career, but maybe it's okay that it's a passion. Um, and then, but, but obviously I wanted to write a different book. I didn't want it to be about my life. So I was, you know, practicing writing all these other things. And then one day I just in a meditation and, and some of the work that I talk about in a shamanic journey with, you know, with some of the things that I, that I was really involved in. Uh, it just came to me to write this book and I really resisted that. So I had to promise myself that I would write the book, but it was okay mm -hmm. to not publish it. I just had to, you know, like you said, is cathartic, get the story out. Mm -hmm. And then of course it was on my computer and then the knock started coming again at the door at that soul door of saying, you know, publish it, publish it, publish it. So I think it was a bit of threefold is it was definitely very healing in my processing of what I was dealing with, but mm -hmm. it wasn't that the intention getting started that it was going to become a book. When I knew that I was really going to write a book, I wanted it to be about a, a better story, a different story, something, anything other than my story. And then it ultimately, you know, I kind of really resisted that and, or I, I stopped resisting that and really just kind of leaned into the process. And, and it was, and I just decided, you know what, like it, it became that the truth started to heal. So I couldn't, I couldn't really heal in back rooms and back closets. And, and it wasn't until I really started to tell the people that were closest to me, at least in my life. And then that became an even bigger purpose in my business because I felt like I was skirting around the truth with people. So mm -hmm. I was kind of talking about things that happen to us, things we don't get over without actually telling people, Hey, this is my story. These are my scars. This is what I've been through. And I felt like I really had to be authentic in that I couldn't do the career that I'm, I'm in if I wasn't just going to put it all out there and be like, this is me. This is my wounds. These are the scars that I've licked clean. And, you know, here I am in all my imperfection 
and and so this is it exactly so you like I'm getting insight into a wild soul woman here which we're going to delve into a little bit but I do want to just go back to the point where writing can be so therapeutic and this I don't think you're the first person who has experienced this where they've been writing it and not wanting to share it and then it does come out it's like that next step where it has to move um, and and if writing's in your soul, it's part of your soul. It, it just seems to come. You you can switch degrees. You can do what you want. The writing resurfaces, and and your testament to that for sure. But um, so we know it wasn't an easy book to write. And it had a long process getting there, and you finally did get to publication. But even that journey was a little unusual. And I want you to share it because it's so interesting. It's actually the first time I've heard of your path to publication. So take that away and tell people about it. So when I decided that, okay, I'm going to do something with the book, because now it's been sitting on my computer for over a year. Um, and then I'm kind of, okay, I'm going to do something. And then I started searching publishing and I was like, oh boy, I thought writing a book was the hard part. It's not, <laughs> it's the easiest part. I mean, I could write a book now with my eyes closed, um, but you know, and especially when, like you said, it's in your soul, the writing is actually the easy part. Uh, so I ended up, um, you know, really starting to pitch. I was getting a lot of, I guess what we really hear about, which is, uh, vanity publications that we're mm -hmm. offering, which is kind of looks like it's publishing, but it's really self-publishing. But anyway, you, you know, the, the, there's the vanity publishing side. Yes. So I was getting a lot of pitches from that and it just didn't feel good. And I kept thinking, you know, maybe I'll self-publish. And so I looked into all those options um, I've, I have my book reviewed by several authors who are well-known in Newfoundland who kind of were also like, this is timely with the Me Too movement, with, you know, just the climate that we're in right now. This book kind of needs to be out there now. So I did think about going this self-publishing route, but every time I went down that path, it just didn't seem right. Mm -hmm. And I started pitching and, 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 you know, I mean, you're right, you're in writing, you know, how hard that process is, is, I mean, some people never get back to you, you know, you send it in and you never hear back. Um, yes. So if you send it in most places, if you send it in, they actually trash it. Um, you know, they, they, they just shred it because unless they put out a call for submissions, you can't submit. You need an agent and it's like the egg and the, it's a big thing. So, <laughs> it's a hard so thing. I, yeah. I was pitching for about maybe about eight months and a, someone sent this to me, a friend of mine, I sent it and said, Hey, I know you're pitching your book. And you know, there's this guy that uh, I know, and he's using this platform called um, Publishizer and it's a crowdfunding campaign. So essentially the way it works is you have to submit your book to Publishizer. If they believe that your book is, is good and you don't have to have a finished book, but you know, you have to have a concept and mine was finished so I submitted the, the publication. I have no idea if they're going to accept me for the crowdfunding platform to say, okay, if you sell a certain number, you get a different publishing audiences. So they, three days later, I accepted for it and then it went live and I was like, oh my God, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Take it down. You know, it was like, I was like a moment <laughs> of panic. And I was, it was out there. This is not, I want to post. I changed my mind. I don't want to be a writer. Um, so I uh, basically it went out there and essentially the way the crowdfunding platform works is that you pitch it to people that you know, strangers, you can run campaigns, advertising towards it. And if you sell a certain number of books, then you get pitched to every possible publisher. So they have more than 500 publishers in their database and they have the big five and they have 
you know, all the independent, I mean, not all, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously there's a lot, but there's an enormous amount of the big five, the big well-known publishers. And I thought, this is my chance. If I can sell enough books, I could get pitched to these guys. And that's essentially what happened is that, you know, I I ended up getting the, the max number of books that I needed to sell in order. I, we actually, you know, reach more than that number. So we had to sell about 500 copies in order to get pitched to these other publishers um, where you're going to see traditional publishing deals. And then it went out there and I had eight offers. I have more than eight offers, but these were eight offers that were narrowed down that these are are worthy of kind of looking into. And then we really Mm -hmm. narrowed it down to two. And then, um, you know, that was a really difficult decision of of narrowing it down to those top two. And you kind of hope that you make the right choice. Um, But I'm- Oh, you follow your heart. (laughs) And that was ultimately what it was, is another soul decision where you close your eyes, you put your hand on your heart and you just say, you know, guide me. And felt like it was the right decision. So I chose Morgan, Morgan James chose me and then I chose them back in return. Um, so they're based in New York and well, they have three publishing houses, New York, Nashville, and London. Um, so uh, I was just in London in, or in, in Nashville in March. I returned home the day the, the <laughs> I was there. I was, my book was launched on the day that they declared a public. Uh, a I know. Pandemic. So I was yeah. like, how else would a wild soul woman, you know, launch her book? But <laughs> Um, so that was essentially the process. And I really found it, it really was able to cut a lot of steps and years off mm-hmm. because you kind of start getting that idea from a lot of these places, the agents, the publishers, the publishing companies, if they're not interested, you know, it's kind of like, it's not that you're not a great writer, but maybe you need to go back to the drawing board of the table instead of, you know, spending five years pitching that book or, you know, whatever. So I thought that it was an incredible platform and it really fast tracked it and got me in front of publishers that I would not have been able to. I mean, I would still be trying to like, you know, send pigeons in with my manuscript. Yeah, it, it, it is really tough. And that's what was so interesting when you told me about that crowdfunding platform and it was actually the first time I'd heard of it. Uh, an amazing, an amazing thing. And it got you fast tracked. And I know that your launch in Nashville didn't quite work out as you had hoped. And that must have been hard, hard because you were so excited. And then along comes COVID-19 and everything shuts down. But I'm sure you've not been stopped before. I'm sure nothing will stop you. And you've got a great publisher working with you. You'll continue to promote the book. And, and it's so nice to talk to you about it tonight. Um, as well, you get into in your book, the, you know, the, the idea of the wild soul woman, like, let's let people know what is, what is this woman? Who is she? So I believe, um, and the journey that I ended up on, which I really talk, you know, a bit about in my book, especially, you know, as we kind of end the book, really start talking about that, what that really looks like. And, and the journey ultimately led me to realizing that I was not making very many decisions for myself in my life, even though I thought that I was. And many people who saw me, you know, I own my own business. I'm married to two dogs. You know, I have the the house and, you know, all of these things. And so it just kind of looks like, you know, I checked all the boxes. So a lot of people were really shocked when I actually kind of said, Hey, you know, I'm really miserable. Um, in my life, because we certainly put out that image. And I realized how little of my life that I was actually in charge of. And everything from, you know, giving up my English degree and not pursuing writing to whether it was with clients, because I owned a gym in the past, and whether it was with clients in the fitness industry, you know, whatever they wanted, I, you know, really bent over backwards. And and, um, I think it's one thing to come from a place of service, but if you're coming from a place of wounds, then 
there's no amount of stuff that you can do that will ever make you feel whole. And that became the journey of really understanding just how conditioned I was and not just myself, but how many women are so systematically conditioned. You know, we're still asking for seats at tables. We should be running. We are still asking. We're still fighting. We're still marching in the streets. I mean, we are still seeing that only one in every 1000 sexual assault cases are actually ever see a conviction. I mean, we are still fighting for our right to exist in many parts of the world, you know, Mm -hmm. so we're seeing just just a couple of weeks ago, I think they actually banned, you know, um, in, in India last year, they banned, you know, mar- child child marriages under a certain age. And in Africa recently, they just banned, you know, female genital mutilation. So these are things that if you look around, maybe here in North America, we have a lot more freedom, but we're still fighting here. And they're really still fighting in many parts of the world, even just for basic rights to exist. And we think mm-hmm. in know, many countries. In many countries. And I think that this is a privilege and something that women in this side of the world really need to step in and realize that, you know, it wasn't that long ago that our grandmothers and great grandmothers were fighting for the right to not be property. And that DNA and that trauma and that really runs deep in us still. So many times we don't realize it. I don't think I didn't realize because if someone had said that to me 10 years ago, oh, you know, you're just doing what you're supposed to do. I would have been like, ah, F you, you know, I mean, I was, I was, you know, would never have believed that. But when I really sat back and realized the reason that I got to a place in my life where I wasn't happy was because I was letting everybody else call the shots and tell me who to be, how to dress, how to look, how to speak, what was ladylike, what I should do, what I shouldn't do. And you're in turmoil as women, we live in turmoil of we have so much on our plate. Our plate is over full. We've got oxygen masks on everybody else and not on ourselves. And we are just always trying to do everything because we are chronic pleasers. And if we're not, then we have a tendency to completely flip and go the other way where, you know, we're kind of, you know, pushing everything and everyone away and we're really angry. So mm-hmm. we're kind of some level of, of what that really looks like. So I think, you know, when I looked at that and I realized what is a wild soul woman, it yes. was, it was about, you know, what would I, what would life look like if I actually started to decide what I wanted? And I had no idea. Do I like eggs or do I eat eggs because I was told to eat eggs for breakfast? Do, how would I eat? Where would I, what would I drive? How would I dress? How would I wear my hair? And, and this became really, really, if I wasn't following trends that some magazine told me that I should do, what would I love? What would I fall in love with? And that became the, the really, you know, finding myself became chasing that wild soul or that free spirit who was in charge of her own life, as opposed to somebody else telling her what she should or shouldn't be. And so that to me is what a free spirit is, is somebody who actually finds that they're in charge of their own life and don't really care what other people think and aren't dictated by mainstream society. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, you know, as I'm listening to you and we've, we've chatted before, there's an element of that in all our lives as part of the way we're brought up. And sometimes I wonder if it's part of our DNA to please to take, fulfill that nurturing role. And uh, so it's big, though, when you know, when you present what you're saying to some people, they go, well, if I respond to that, if I rise to that occasion, what will my life be? Where will my life go? And there's an element of fear, I think, um, when people are faced with that kind of, are you thinking for yourself? And are you going to and how do you feel about it? Like, well, how's that going to fit with what I've already built? You know, so what you coach people and you're talking to people all over the world, what do you get back from people? How do they feel about taking these 
steps forward? I think that people really come to me when they're really serious. Um, I find that a lot of people, you know, we're, we're in some form of meditation or self-help and we're searching for something as a lot of people who come to me have been searching for something and they know that there's something missing. They just feel mm-hmm. that there's something really missing in their lives. They know that we were born for more and that we're not supposed to just be like on the treadmill of life, as I call it, just, you know, amassing degrees and accolades and stuff and things and people and, and, you know, achievement is, is amazing. And I'm, I'm very driven, you know, by, by all kinds of things, but when we're only amassing that and it feels empty and no matter how much we succeed and it still feels empty and it feels like there's nothing, you know, there. So a lot of people really come to me after they've already kind of been searching and and on a bit of a journey of kind of looking for themselves and saying, you know, I feel like something's really missing in my life. And absolutely one of the number one things when we really start to get deep with people about this conversation about, you know, the life that they've created versus the life that they really want, that absolutely 80% of the population is certainty driven. So people really love certainty. COVID-19 right now is creating massive uncertainty for people. People are mm-hmm. triggered in ways that they can't even begin to describe or understand. Human beings love certainty and we love attention. So we're, we've kind of taken away two big things for people. You know, the only way you can see it on social media, who's desperate for attention, um, you know, because of the just just some of the things that are that are happening because their social networks have been removed. Their workplace networks have mm-hmm. been removed and all their certainty is gone. And the, really the same thing is kind of happens when you start to follow that little bit of a journey to say, you know, am I living my best life? Am I really living the life that I wanted to live or did I settle? Did I take the job that was going to give me the pension? Did I settle for the partner that had a great job and looked really good on paper? Did I have children because I thought that I was supposed to, or I was afraid that I would regret it? Or did I not have children because I thought that they would, you know, and so we begin to ask a lot of questions of ourselves. And that, that's a really scary place for people to start realizing, what if I ask those questions? What if I do that and I lean in and I ask those questions and I realize that the life I'm living is not the life I want? And then how do I, what do I do if mm-hmm. I figure that out? So for a lot of people, they really absolutely want to put the wall up. Um, and it's super convenient for us to just be like, oh, that's silly and drink another glass of wine or scroll more on Facebook, smoke another cigarette, you know, whatever it is that we do to distract ourselves. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been very, the reason that I ended up there is because I did all those things, you know, and, and so it's not coming from a place of judgment, but from a place of, of just kind of describing what that looks like for us. So it is very scary for us many times to face the fact that maybe we created something that we don't love and then unraveling that to find something that we love can feel really scary to people because they think, oh, what if I leave my partner or what if I don't want to be a mom anymore? What if I want to like pack up and leave my kids or you know, what if I want to leave my job? Who's going to pay my bills? <laughs> so they allow themselves to get caught in that really negative, um, almost awfulizing thinking mm-hmm. about all the worst case scenarios instead of thinking about those best case scenarios that may actually happen. And what I actually find is, you know, for myself, for sure, and I talk about this in my book, is that there were definitely times that I thought that my marriage was going to end. There were definitely times that I wanted it to end. I, you know, really wanted that to be the right answer. But the work actually led me to the opposite place. It led me to, to be more open, you know, happier with the things that I actually had. And so I didn't have to go move into an ashram in India for a year. I did that work, you know, mostly here at home, um, where I just actually fell in love with my life even more. Of course, there are always going to be those people who, you know, that's not going to be the case where, you know, and for me, well, I it, it's like, tough that, you know, the things you're, you're digging into at times can be tough. 
But, you know, believe it or not, Tanya, we're just pretty much at the end of our time together. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel your passion, you know, it, it comes through and you've shared so much, but I'm going to direct people back to Unchained again. And also, I did have your uh, website up there, um, wildsoul.ca. <laughs> and people can check that out because you offer so many things in your blog and, and so on. And uh, I know we, we could be here and I have so many questions and I could chat to you for so long. But I think one last message. Get our own show. <laughs> <laughs> one last. Well, let me get you to do this in a sentence or two. Um, you know, if you were going to leave this with someone, what do you think? What advice would you give us to find at least start to get in touch with our wild souls? I think the biggest piece of advice that I want people to know is that, you know, life doesn't have to completely fall apart in order for us to really start finding ourselves is that you can be, you know, completely even more in love with the life that you have. You can be an even better parent, even better business partner, better employee, um, you know, better wife, better partner in whatever sense of the word, when you actually awaken to what's inside of you. And so don't be really afraid of what could go wrong and instead start focusing on what might actually go right and what you'll really gain in your life. Because, we didn't come here to live a life of just merely existing and just getting by. Mm -hmm. We came here to really live, to experience all that life has to offer. And for many people, they're just churning. And so that would be the big thing that I would really like people to understand is that there's so much more life when we actually get off that treadmill and we start treadmill. asking bigger questions of ourselves. So that that's what I think is, is the most important thing for people to realize. It's not that scary. I know it seems scary, but it's not that scary once you're in there. Life has so much to offer, you know? Well, I think you're an inspiration and thank you for leaving us with that thought. Everyone out there, just shut it down for a little bit. You're, you're in isolation, shut it down a bit and give some thought to these things, to what you really want. What are the questions? And, uh, Tanya is inspiring you to do that. So thank you so much for joining me on Let's Get Writing and uh, stay in touch. This is really fun. I could take this conversation all day and all night. So thanks everyone for tuning in and we'll see you again next week. I've got Mary Bob Straub and her story is a little like yours, Tanya, and it's called Someone Else's Shoes and she was living not for herself as well. So next week, tune in and, and, and uh, hear Mary Bob's story. So have a great night, Tanya. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye for now. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. So please let us know what you thought of this episode and share your ideas for future guests or topics. You can email us at letsgetwriting at katherinetaylor.ca. Don't forget to subscribe and even leave a review. If you love this episode, share it with a friend. Until next time, believe in yourself and let's get writing.